Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and our topic today is personal transformation through self-compassion. The healing power of self-compassion is essential to respond skillfully to our own suffering and to that of the world. And I have the perfect person to talk about this today with. My guest is Dr. Radeley Weininger, a clinical psychologist and meditation teacher. She's the co-founder of Mindful Heart Programs, which offers meditation and education programs in mindfulness, meditation, and nature connection in the Santa Barbara, California area. Radelay has strong interests in the direct experience of the sacred and how this can inspire our service to others. She's the author of the book we will be talking about today, Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion, Nine Simple Practices for a Joyful, Wholehearted Life. You can find out more about Radelay, her book, events, and seminars at her website, RadeleyWeiningerPhD.com. And again, it's Radelay, R-A-D-H-U-L-E, Weininger is W-E-I-N-I-N-G-E-R, Ph.D.com, RadeleyWeiningerPhD.com. She's also active on Facebook. So welcome, Radelay Weininger. I'm delighted that you can join me today on the Yoga Hour. Hello, this is Wadley Weininger. Thank you so much, Laurel, for inviting me today. And yeah, I'm very excited to tell you about self-compassion. Yes. So before we dive into that uh, dialogue about self-compassion, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's start right where we are, wherever we are, and just bring our attention within. Just feel your body in space, feel all of the places that it is supported, whether you are walking or sitting, lying down. Just feel those connections, feel your body supported by the surfaces. And then bring your attention to your breath. It's a wonderful tool that is always with us. And just notice as you take a fully conscious breath, as you inhale and exhale. 
On the inhale, notice the parts of your body that move. Perhaps the belly softens and expands, the chest expands. And on the exhale, they relax. On the next inhale, feel the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feel the warm air flowing out. Just observing our breath, not trying to change it, just noticing the natural flow. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate, taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Whatever sorrow there is, whatever sickness there is, whatever hatred there is, whatever unrest there is, spirit is stronger. The power of truth rises up to meet every challenge. It is human nature to accept certain parts of our life and to reject others, to want only happiness and to reject sorrow. But this may cause us to miss the blessings that hide behind distressing disguises. But this may cause us to miss the blessings that hide behind distressing disguises. We need not fear them. Nothing can ever diminish the blessed nature of our being. Nothing. Oh. Once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Bradley Weininger. I am really delighted to talk with you today about self-compassion and to discuss your your really lovely book, Heart Work, The Path of Self-Compassion. So what drew you to write this book at this time? Well, um, what drew me to write this book is, you know, when I started meditating in 1980 in this monastery in Sri Lanka, um, I loved my practice, but I also realized that I was getting awfully hard with myself. Being a post-war German, I think being critical and harsh was just kind of a natural way to want to propel oneself forward. Mm-hmm. And so, as we know, meditation might be simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so it kind of ended up being like a fight between me and myself. Mm-hmm. When uh, Sharon Salzburg in the 80s, late 80s, I think, or mid 80s, came out with her book, Loving Kindness, that was kind of a, a revelation for us. Mm-hmm. Actually okay to be kind with ourselves. And then with my mentor, he had me do like a whole 10-day retreat just on kindness and compassion and I realized that really improved my practice mm-hmm. to out of this critical gridlock with myself but I also realized that the <clears throat> the traditional um, phrases that were used were a bit formulaic yes. um, and uh, not very creative mm-hmm. and the always work for me you know they felt a little bit like soldiering along 
And so then I started to take those phrases out of the box and be a little bit more creative with them and try to find ways of phrasing compassion for self and others uh, practices that seemed more hitting the spot so we could actually feel seen and heard and understood by them. And so that's how that happened, that mm. just my daily work as a psychologist and trying out what actually works with people, I felt it, it was really helpful to be more creative. Yes, indeed. And that, that's something that I appreciate is the um, kind of personalization that you give to some of the standard, you know, phrases from a loving kindness meditation. And we're going to talk more about that as we as we go. So we're talking about compassion. So how do you define the word compassion? Well, um, compassion, according to Jack Cornfield who I really love and, you know, as you know, he's my, my mentor, right. is, is the movement of the heart in the face of our pain and the pain of another. And I would kind of um, stick with that. Um, I would stick with that uh, definition but there's actually one really wonderful, um, let me see, I've got it here, um, <clears throat> uh, definition says to be present with our experience in the moment when we feel suffering mm -hmm. and to allow ourselves to really feel with what is going on, not to just notice, um, be aware of our compassion, but to feel the felt sense of our suffering. Yes. And that, and being in the present moment with ourselves in that way really allows our heart to soften and to be more compassionate towards ourselves and others in the world. Right. Right. So, you talked about this, you know, self-compassion. <clears throat> I think people probably have kind of a, you know, a gestalt of, you know, what <clears throat> what they, uh, the sense that they get when they hear the word compassion. But then this idea of self-compassion, why, number one, is it so important? And number two, why is it so difficult? <clears throat> well, maybe first I want to bring in a... Um... Uh, qualifier okay. uh, is self-compassion is not self-indulgence right and I think many people are afraid of that they're afraid that it might mean coddling yourself but it's not that it just means to be um, kind towards yourself even in the face of your own suffering and that might mean also to be disciplined and get yourself to practice yeah. and to see it, look at yourself very um, honestly. But it doesn't mean coddling yourself or being self-indulgent. And you might ask, what is the spiritual question of self-compassion? Mm -hmm. I would say is, 
how can I hold my fallibility, my vulnerability and imperfection, that which is hard to look at with kindness and care? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was that was really beautiful. <clears throat> what was it again? <clears throat> how do I hold my vulnerability? And you said a few other things with kindness and self-care. My fallibility, fallibility. vulnerability. And imperfection, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. hard to look at with kindness and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting point and one I was going to ask you about later. In the book, you mentioned that you and your husband have conversations about interconnectedness. And um, this idea, you know, of course, that's at the heart of yoga, which means union or oneness it really is about our you know our oneness and our interconnection with with the world and um and the um supreme consciousness or however whatever word you'd like to describe it that is the source and substance of us all we all have that you know connection and that to me that's the heart of yoga so um you know, these are sort of two different ends that you're looking at it. You know, you were talking about it from the importance of coming, you know, from self-compassion. And I believe what you say in the book is that your husband, you know, is like, well, you can't get stuck there. You know, we have to have this compassion for the world. And it has to spiral out from that. And I think that really what we're talking about is that fear that we have that by spending any time at all on self-compassion, somehow we are being selfish. Can you you say more about that? Yeah. And I think that is um, a misconception that is very strong held. And I might also even say, yes, we can't stop the self-compassion, you know, because then self-compassion maybe could turn just into self-preoccupation. Mm-hmm. So um, self-compassion is really about a willingness to sense what's going on in our bodies to be with the reality, to be with it, no matter how uncomfortable this might be. And the physical sensation of this discomfort that we feel in ourselves brings us into the present moment. And the present moment, as you know, is the only time when change is is possible. Indeed. And then we can transform the contraction that heightens our pain and instead allow for the spaciousness and fluidity of the present moment. Mm -hmm. We can unlock our heart and expand it outward towards others and our world. Right. Right. And I think it's confusion about that point, though, of, you know, that... um, coming from self-compassion, coming from self-care in a larger way, that, um, you know, there's confusion in our culture about doing that. And I think that's part of what leads to burnout on the part of so many people that we're so busy trying to take care of everyone else in our lives Mm -hmm. for, you know, a working mom to have uh, children and, 
uh, you know, I know you end up at the bottom of, of uh, your own list, uh, certainly. Um, and if, you know, if there's nothing in the well, there's nothing that you have to give. And so it's, it's attention. Obviously, you don't want to get stuck there. But without filling your own well, you don't have anything to give to others. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if we don't feel with ourselves, we often don't feel with others. We might have pity for them, but we don't really have full compassion. Indeed. Yeah. So um, you have a, a beautiful quote in the book uh, from the Dalai Lama. And actually, I was on your website earlier today. I, I saw the beautiful photo of you with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> that was really nice. Um, anyway, the quote in your book from the Dalai Lama is, when you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. So can you say more about that? Why you included that quote and what it means to you? <clears throat> Well, I think really being uh, helpful to others as well as to ourselves is what makes us happy. There is a lot of healing and service, and we ourselves are included in the service. Right. But we have to go beyond ourselves and kind of with a spiral of compassion uh, go outward towards others in our world. And you talked a little while ago about interdependence. Yes. I think in Hindu as well as Buddhist, as well as science understanding, everything is interdependent. Yes. You know, it's uh, the uh, Buddhist comedian Ness Visker said, everything is everything and vice versa. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's what uh, modern physics tells us nowadays. Right. Or what the bleep. You know, one butterfly wing in one side of the world affects something in the other side of the world. Right. So if we are really understanding that we are all part of the same field and emerging out of the same field and going back into it, as Titnat Han said, that we are interbeing then um, compassion is is really a no-brainer. Mm. You know, then it's not just about us as isolated little selves. Yes. Then it is about all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's about all of us. So... Um, in the book, uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I that I appreciated was uh, you sort of made a distinction between loving kindness meditation and compassion meditation, even though they're they are often referred to kind of in the same breath. Um, so, I guess to start with, just for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with loving kindness. Um, could you just describe it? And again, as I mentioned, I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are driving. So unfortunately, we can't really take the time to put, you know, people into a meditative state and take them through a full loving kindness. But perhaps you could give an overview of um, loving kindness meditation and then contrast it with the compassion. Well, loving kindness is about wishing another well. 
really from the depth of your heart wishing another well and uh, which is not easy always for us mm-hmm. you know to really wish that the other one is thriving that they are healthy that they are happy that they are safe you know and and i think that's already a really big step if we all could wish everybody else in the world well then oh we would have a better world mm-hmm. that Right. And just to, you know, just to interject there, you know, the um, little bit that I know about loving kindness, when you say that people are probably imagining having loving kindness, wanting the best for people that they care about for, you know, for their spouse or their children or their family or their friends or whoever. But then, you know, it turns a little bit when you say, okay, now to have loving kindness for, you know, someone who has not treated you well. That right. sort of thing. And often loving kindness meditation is kind of um, going outward. Um, starting, often we start with ourselves, even though that's not always the easiest part for us. You know, sometimes if we have a lot of self-criticism or self-loathing or even self-hatred, then it might be easier to start with your pet, with your yeah. little you know, or or with your grandchild or uh, somebody you really have an easy time liking or loving. Mm -hmm. And uh, then from this person who's easiest for you to like or love, then um, to go outward towards uh, um, others who are... um, who are maybe, uh, well, I find the second easiest is usually somebody who has a similar predicament to ours. Mm. Let's say if we go right now through a divorce or we have a sick child or our child has an addiction problem or we take care of our aging parents or whatever, or we live in poverty, Um, than to wish somebody else who shares that predicament with you well is sometimes the easiest next step. I don't know, it's not usually taught that way, but that's what I think works often the best. Mm -hmm. Then going out to maybe what we call a neutral person, somebody we may not know well, somebody who drives next to us on the freeway or somebody who we meet in the DMV or stand behind at the cashiers in the supermarket. So to wish that neutral person well. And then somebody who maybe annoys us, maybe the person we stand behind in the supermarket who is um, maybe annoying us because it's a long time or they look for their food stamps or whatever they might be doing. And so um, that is maybe then the next person. And then eventually we can come to the person who really irks us or may have even hurt us. Mm -hmm. There might be um, a kind of a a in-between step that might be useful. Let's say we can't really honestly wish the person who hurt us well. 
we could say, maybe wish them well at some point. Maybe I hold this intention to wish them well. Or maybe mm. 10 years. Yeah. And that way it keeps some authenticity. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, for that great description of loving kindness. And then in the book, you talk about the difference of compassion as feeling with. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So loving, it's like the two sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, loving kindness, I wish you well. And um, uh, compassion is I feel with, compatio feeling with, I feel with you, with your suffering. And so they're very close, but what? You just broke up there, Radhali, are you there? Yeah. Okay. I just said um, one is wishing well and the other one is feeling with. Feeling with, yeah, that, that, I thought that was, that was really uh, useful. Uh, for for me to really um, kind of understand what the you know kind of a more refined look at at your book basically that the whole thing so that that was great so the the title of your book and actually we have just about a minute left the title of your book is heart work so yeah. what do you mean by heart work well we are working with our hearts. You know, we are slowly softening our hearts. I remember when I first started meditating in 1980, I didn't even feel my heart. You know, it was as if my heart was kind of um, numb and yes. made a little achy. And I felt slowly, my felt sense of my own heart was softening and becoming more alive. And, and that's beautiful. I was not really fair of me to, to ask you a question right in the end. But uh, with that, we've come to the close of the of the first part of the program. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Radhale Weininger, clinical psychologist and meditation teacher and author of the book we are discussing today, Heart Work. You can find out more about Radhale and her work at her website, RadhaleWeiningerPhD.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll be exploring more about the practices of self-compassion, practices that support us in living a joyful and wholehearted life. We will be right back. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World You're listening to The Yoga Hour Living the Eternal Way with your host Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien Welcome back from the break 
My guest today is Ratule Weininger, a clinical psychologist, co-founder of the Mindful Heart Programs in Santa Barbara, California, and author of the book we're talking about, Heartwork. So in your book, Ratule, there are nine practices that you offer, and I can already tell I, I would love to discuss all of them with you. But before we dive into the specifics, um, in general, how do these practices heal? And it, I realize it connects to what we were just talking about, about what is heart work. So, or at least that's my guess. Well, you know, those um, practices just give different, really useful and uh, client-centered and um, approachable, accessible relevant practices for people who who are um, suffering. And so, for example, uh, the first practice is mindfulness. You know, it, it's like how to um, be present with yourself through mindfulness of breathing. But we all know that this practice is, um, uh, it might be simple but not easy and so it's important to do this practice with a sense of gentleness and compassion for yourself mm-hmm. so when you are for the um, 20th time uh, get distracted and up worrying about something or fretting about another thing to bring yourself back with a sense of kindness and patience so that's the first practice. Then I'm, I'm teaching one practice, which I like to talk about is the mindful pause practice, which is, yeah. I was just gonna say, so I, I definitely wanna dive into that, but in general, when we think about these practices, how do you think that they help people to heal? I mean, how does heart work help us to heal? I think they help us to make friends with ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, which is easier said than done. Because let's say if we have kind of a somewhat alienated or negative or disconnected view from ourselves, they help us to really get to know ourselves. And not just to get to know ourselves, but to um, heal that relationship we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, we've talked. You talk about um, mindfulness, and I think many, if not most, listeners probably have a sense of of what that practice is like. One of the things that we notice when we are mindfully mindfully attending to, um, well, we notice thoughts that come up, and it's amazing some of the negative messages <laughs> that come up internally in our thoughts, and in a way surprising and um, distressing how we say things often to ourselves, or at least I should say I find myself saying things to myself that I would never say to a good friend. I would never, ever, (laughs) never, ever say that. Um, Is this what you find with your clients? Yeah, definitely. We are very strict with ourselves. And I remember having been very strict with myself. Mm-hmm. And slowly working on changing that. 
And, you know, nowadays we know a lot about neuroplasticity, that those habits are kind of having a physiological equivalent in, in how the neural pathways in our brains go. So it takes a little while to reroute those neural pathways and to change our internal landscape and to change our habit. And so that's why these practices help because we have to do them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And what, in, in your thought or your experience, what is the benefit of having an ongoing meditation practice? Well, because we're going to talk about the specifics of like on the go techniques and all, but what, what, how does having the meditation practice help us? Well, it gives us a different baseline of being ourselves. You know, we might have a, a baseline of unhappiness, a baseline, a chronic sense of uh, discomfort and disagreement with ourselves. And that might be something we learn from our families. So slowly we are creating a different baseline of how to be with ourselves and with others and the world. And it takes time, exactly for the reason I just said, that there are these habits, there are these neural pathways, and slowly they can transform. Mm -hmm. And isn't that so hopeful? I just find the the newer the newer science of neuroscience is so much more hopeful. When I was in medical school in the 80s, we were taught that there neurons just, uh, there were no new neurons, basically. You, know? you had as many as you had, and they were dying all the time, and tough luck. And then now there's, it's so much more hopeful in that if you, know, you can practice these things and you can truly, we know scientifically, can create these new neural pathways, as you just described. Exactly true. I remember we learned, you know, I went to med school in Germany and then I got my PhD in in America. In both studies, which both were in the 80s, um, it was like you were basically fully cooked by age three, six or 12. Right. And and then tough luck. It's downhill since then. (laughs) It's too late. And so... I, you know, there was this beautiful uh, study, or it's actually a little podcast with um, with uh, Shana Shapiro, who's a, a writer of many mindfulness articles and um, is a psychologist at Santa Clara University. And she said, usually we are born with a baseline of happiness or unhappiness. And then things happen in our lives, we get a little happier, but then we go back to baseline. Or bad things happen, we get some unhappier, but we go back to baseline. And the only thing that in research changes that baseline is, they say, mindfulness meditation. Mm. I kind of suspect it's also yoga and compassion meditation and probably prayer and, you know... As I I suspect it's not only mindfulness meditation, but I find that research uh, really um, uh, hopeful. Yes, yes, very much, very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So earlier you were pointing to these mindful pauses, and I would love to hear more about that. Do you want to um, share a few with our listeners? Sure. Um, those mindful pauses I created because so often um, our upsets or being thrown out of balance happens um in our daily lives and not when we sit on our cushion in the morning or on our chair, wherever we sit. And, um, and, but quite often we have time to say, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I go into the uh, lunchroom to get a glass of water, or I can go outside and stand by the tree, you know, so often we can make just a few minutes time. And so that's why I uh, developed these mindful pause practices. And the most simple one is when I feel triggered. And there are um, uh, certain components which I like to explain. It's like the first um, phrase would be, I notice my body. The second, I choose to pause. Third, I exhale gently to relax. Four, I recognize my feelings. Five, I sense my heart. Six, I offer compassion to myself. Seven, when ready, I re-engage. But let me say why I chose those. The first one is I notice my body which is brings me into the present moment, really being with the felt sense of what is happening. And when we are there, then we can start to work with ourselves. Yes, and just to interject there, so anytime we are feeling mm -hmm. our senses, so anytime we are aware as we look, as we listen, as we feel something on our skin, as we feel our bodies in space, these are things that bring us into the present moment. Because when we are feeling our senses, that is a kind of a, of a key that unlocks that ability to be in the present. Exactly. And then there is a choice. We choose to pause, which is really important, you know, to make that choice. And then we exhale to relax. And you might remember uh, Harold Benson, 1973 at Harvard University, talking about the relaxation response. Indeed. So it's Herbert, Herbert Benson, yeah. Oh, Herbert Benson. <laughs> yes, Sorry. right. That's okay. When we relax, it activates the vagal tone. And then that leads automatically to a relaxation response. Yes. Isn't that so interesting? I, I find that fascinating how it's the exhale that is really the important uh, yeah. tie-in with the relaxation response, with the opposite of the, of the stress response, of yeah. the um, you know, f fight, flight, or freeze response is really triggered by the, ex the exhalation. So I thought that was interesting that you said in your script, focus on the exhale. Yeah. And then we are ready to recognize our feelings when we are a little relaxed, when we are in the present moment in our bodies, 
then we can realize, wow, I'm angry or I'm ashamed or I feel frustrated. And then often, then I find it useful to just sense the heart for a moment. Then we usually realize, wow, there's a little tightness Mm -hmm. or there is a bit of ache. And if I could just interject there, I thought your information in the book about the abundant neuronal connection, the neurons that connect the heart to the brain, uh, which I think you said in the book are something like 40,000 neurons that connect the heart to the brain. And so there really is this, this tremendous connection between the heart and the brain. We really can feel the heart. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and then I offer compassion to myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think then we are ready to do that, to say, okay, okay, you know, I might be frustrated or might be ashamed, but I hold and I hold myself with warmth. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And, yeah, and then um, sometimes I put one more step in there and I say, now connect to breath because I think breath connects us to a bigger field of of being. Mm. You know, it's not just our breath, it's the breath. It's the breath that connects us all. Mm. Yes, I, that's why I enjoy using it in the beginning uh, as I did earlier of the the contemplation practice is just trying to give people a little pause and moment to feel where they are before we dive into this wonderful conversation about self-compassion. We're doing a mindful pause there. Yes, yeah. And then sometimes I find it helpful to say, when I'm ready, I re-engage. And sometimes yes. we feel, no, maybe I'll just do this one more time. I- <laughs> longer in my bathroom stall (laughs) or I'm ready to go back to the board meeting or wherever I need to go. So, so just in terms of the logistics, do you encourage people to write this down on like a little three by five card or something like that, that they can keep at their desk and they could take with them out on to stand behind a tree or just to sit in their desk at their, you know, at their, uh, at their desk and, and have this mindful pause. Well, people do all kinds of things. Some uh, um, copy it. I, I actually have little cards on their like credit size cards that I give to my um, clients or students. But uh, some people put it on their screensaver or sure. on their phone or they sure because they're gonna they're gonna have their phone with them everywhere. That's of course. I should have thought of that first. So. I did want to uh, have a chance to talk about a couple of other practices, but I thought it might be useful to talk about them in the context of one of the stories that you tell at the, at the end of the book. I appreciated the stories, by the way, um, the, that you give, I think it's nine different stories of people using the, um, the practices that you outline in the book. Um, and this is a, just an example. And, Perhaps you include it as an inspiration. I thought they were inspiring. Yeah. Um, Sorry, were you thinking of? Well, I was thinking of chapter 18, When Old Family Wounds Haunt You, with with Heidi, 
Um, and you start out the chapter saying, Heidi faced and healed the trauma that had been passed down for generations in her family. And she was being triggered by uh, some work she was doing with uh, immigrant children who um, were so quiet and shy. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yes, definitely. Yes. And Heidi was a therapist herself. Right. <laughs> so, so could you tell that story and then perhaps you, you know, go through some of the um, techniques that she used that, that you worked with her on? Because we were talking earlier about how powerful these can be if there aren't a generic script just may all beings be happy or that kind of thing. I mean, obviously those are good and wonderful. And if you can personalize it to what the person's going through, um, it can be even more powerful. Yes. Um, well, Heidi was um, a woman in her 50s who was uh, a therapist. She is Mexican-American and she worked a lot with families. And she just realized that she often had a hard time feeling empathy with, uh, with those uh, little kids that she was um, uh, seeing. And, uh, oops, sorry, my doggy. Should I just... Do you want to put them out of the room or well, take a moment? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I can go into a different room. Oops. I think what's happening is my next client is coming. Ah. And so they're just sad. Okay. You stay out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so she really was disturbed because she had a hard time feeling empathy with some of the little kids that she was um, seeing. And we talked about it in therapy and she felt quite, you know, defensive and numb and just, but upset at herself that she was not feeling um, uh, more empathy, that she felt so um, put off by them. And then she remembered herself as a little child and how her mother was quite... Um, critical with her. Her mother, a new immigrant in the States who couldn't speak English. And, um, and she was not allowed to have any feelings. And her mother actually, each time she was feeling anything, kind of put her down and put her into this role of being uh, the parent. And so she became a very tough little kid. And um, and kind of alienated from herself, mm -hmm. herself and her feelings and her own suffering. And being around those kids she worked with reminded her in a in an un, very uncomfortable way of herself and of a sense of vulnerability she just really couldn't um, couldn't tolerate. And so I worked with the, her first on understanding, seeing herself with patience, but then also with compassion for herself. You know, um, may, I, um, 
may I allow myself to feel the vulnerability that I was feeling as a child. Mm-hmm. May I hold my feelings of anger and frustration now with understanding and gentleness. May I be patient with myself as I become aware of what's going on inside of myself. Mm-hmm. May I look at myself without judgment and with a caring heart. And may I include the frightened little girl I was in my caring. And then I had a slowly um, uh, turn this outward, extend the spiral of compassion. May I include those frightened children I meet every day with loving care. May they receive the support they need to find their new home in this country. And may their parents receive the encouragement and compassion essential to finding happiness and ease. Mm -hmm. So that really helped her. I thought this was just a great example. Why I wanted to ask you to, why I asked you to go through it was, I think people can see how you can take kind of generic phrases about self-compassion and tune them to specifically express your own issues, whatever those are. And then this can be an ongoing practice, you know, for you that, as you said, can soften your own heart and then through softening of your own heart, allow that then to extend in that outward spiral to include others, to include everyone who's you know, going through something similar uh, to include our own inner child. Anyway, I, I, I enjoyed reading the story and I thought our listeners might too. So we have about uh, three minutes left. Um, would you like to share another uh, practice? I know you had several that were for specific yeah. um, triggers in the book. Brief on-the-go practices for mindfulness and compassion, um, which included practices for being triggered, stressed, or being in a bad mood. So do you want to talk through one of those? Um, Yes, Uh, even though I think it might be even more important to um, discuss one more move beyond compassion, which is forgiveness. Ah, that's great. Because I think so often we hold a grudge or resentment towards ourselves and others. And I think it's important to um, add often to um, compassion, loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness practice. And I'm teaching here the spiral of um, compassion, forgiveness and acceptance which includes uh, compassion for ourselves, forgiveness towards ourselves, and an acceptance of what we were not able to get to. And then also give this compassion and forgiveness and acceptance towards others who share a similar predicament to ours. Maybe others who also feel wronged by somebody or others who also feel they made a mistake. And sometimes, especially when we feel hurt by others, 
then it's good to turn this practice outward and to give a sense of kindness, compassion, forgiveness towards those we feel resentful to. Or if that's too hard, I think it has to be authentic, then maybe the intention, maybe in 20 years, mm -hmm. I want to let go of this resentment. And I just feel increasingly that this is really holding old resentments, is really burdening people and yes. kind of poisons ourselves and makes ourselves sick. So... And with that, unbelievably, we've come to the end of the show. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing personal transformation through self-compassion with Dr. Radule Weininger, clinical psychologist, meditation teacher, and author of the book we've been talking about today, Heartwork. You can find out more about Radhule's work and her organization at her website, RadhuleWeiningerPhD.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Radhule. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Join us for our program next week when Yogacharya O'Brien will be speaking with Swamini Svatma Vidyananda. Swamini is the accomplished scholar in Vedanta and is the spiritual director of several ashrams here in the U.S. They will be discussing the nature of our relationship with God and the role that ritual can play to uncover the deepest truth of our being. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer, Ann Hayes, and always Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 